Doctor Who Podshock, Episode 91, recorded June 2007. And the good news is, their life's like running out, so we hide. Wait for them to die. I have to stop being a time lord. I'm going to become human. Chameleon art rewrites my biology. Ah, ah. Journal of impossible things. Such imagination. Become quite a hobby. He's different from any man you've ever met, right? Yes. I had to go and fall in love with a human. It wasn't me. If they find us, Martha, open the watch. Sometimes I say things and they turn out to be correct. What are you talking about? This is not you. This is 1913. Change back! We need a Time Lord. <laughs> Which one of them do you want us to kill? Doesn't this scare you enough to change back? Your friend or your lover? Live from the Hard Rock Cafe on Gallifrey, this is Doctor Who Podshot. This is a very special edition of Doctor Who Podshock. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hey, everyone. Or should I say Lord President Louis Trapani? Oh, as, we uh, don't need to be so formal. <laughs> <laughs> and we bow. I'm wearing my... Castellan Ken Deep. I'm, uh, we're here celebrating uh, the anniversary of the Gallifreyan Embassy, and the full name, the Gallifreyan Embassy of Long Island. Although uh, original name, we, yeah, we put that to rest, I guess. Now, at, once we expanded beyond the, the borders of um, the, the great sh- south shore of Long Island and Sound and whatnot, and now, thanks to your emails and feedback, we realize that we've reached, uh, according to the the little mappy thingy on the website, what Korea, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, uh, of course, the UK, places around the globe, and it. It's uh, it's really been an exciting ride. We're coming up on the second anniversary of the website of the GallifreyanEmbassy.org or Podshock.net. Yeah, the the, re, um, the know, relaunch. The, the relaunch of the website. The um, the reenvisioning of the website. Uh, so it's 22 years of the Gallifreyan Embassy as an organization and two years of Podshock and of the GallifreyanEmbassy.org website. And the response has been, you know, the response has been incredible. Yeah. And I, I think back to Lewis and I had a, a meeting. We went to a diner one night for dinner, and he said, "I, I know this guy, uh, James. He does a podcast, and you know, he's he's a bloke from over in the UK, and he would be kind of cool to work with us. And I want to redo this website." And I said, "Sure, you know, I, you know, I just hope somebody." takes an interest in it. <laughs> and boy, have they. I mean, really. It, um, we got listeners like, all over the world. We have people, we have listeners in Millie ways at the end of the universe listening to us. It's, um, it's quite um, flattering. It's flattering. 
humbling, um, exceeded our ex- every expectation. Uh, Lewis said, there's this thing called podcasting. And I'm like, what, what the hell are you talking about, Lou? And <laughs> you, you always say that. I, I always so. say that when it comes to anything is Lewis says, I, I say, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, but I have always known to trust Lewis uh, in that he's always on the tip of the cusp of new technology and what's going on. And he was right. This podcasting thing has been really cool. Yeah. And it's it's certainly been a fun trip and uh, nonstop, um, but fun all the way. Definitely, and and we want to thank you, the listeners of of Podshock and the supporters of the Gallifreyan Embassy, uh, as an organization and as a, a website, uh, because the the message boards and the subscribers to Podshock and people who help post the news and stuff have really given it a life of its own. Yeah, we always said from the beginning that this is as much, you know, your show as it is ours. And, um, you know, and obviously being a fan run organization, it's always um, relied on the participation of its members. And it's no more it's it's no less true today than it was 22 years ago when we started, because now people are contributing to the website. The forums are very active. Uh, People are posting and contributing articles uh, to the website and uh, we are doing live shows now where everyone's on board and interacting with us and we're getting live feedback and it's just been a wonderful interactive show. I mean, if it was just us talking about it all the time, you know, we would bore ourselves. But being it's, it's a whole community, worldwide community, um, you know, effort and it's been nothing but less than spectacular. Well, yeah, everything has grown. In the two years, and, and not just the the number of hits to the website or the number of participants, uh, but like Lewis was just saying that he, uh, even the podcast itself has gone beyond just the three of us chatting and going over news and feedback and things like that. But we actually have this live broadcast now, which we, two years ago, we never would have dreamt of that we could even do something like that. And the technology is now... I mean, I, I imagine two years from now, the podcast is done using video live around the mm-hmm. world and that, mm-hmm. that we, you know, we will have cameras involved and it, it'll just, it'll take the next step. But we're taking a few minutes to, uh, uh, to wax nostalgic and to, and to thanks, thank you for, for helping us out and, and helping bring this to life uh, because we never take it for granted that there are so many people out there that appreciate that there's a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, the reviews that come in have been excellent. They say that the, the show is fun to listen to. And, you know, we've had the debate between the long episode and the short episode. And now we have this live thing going on. And um, the other thing that we don't want to take for granted is that the show is back and alive and well and succeeding as the podcast is succeeding beyond Lewis and James and my expectation, I'm sure that the show, the current series of Doctor Who, has exceeded every expectation at the BBC. Yeah, you know what? What the realization and I, as fans? I mean, the the realization uh, entering this anniversary, our 22nd anniversary of the Gallifrey Embassy, um, hit home with me was that this is also the year of Doctor Who's 44th anniversary. And being that this is our 22nd, that means we've been around half the time of the long history of Doctor Who, which is just... Oh, 
incredible to think about because, you know, when we started the organization, Doctor Who was only, um, you know, just celebrated its 20th anniversary, was on the heels of that. And, you know, who was, And that seemed like a long time. It, so, it felt like a life. Well, for, if, for, for us, it was a lifetime. It was, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I was less than that. I wasn't even that old at that time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the Gallifreyan Embassy now is older than I was when I formed it, you know, when, when we all started it and came together for it. So it's just, um, it's incredible to think of it that way. But as you just said, the, the series itself is striving today and, uh, you know, and hats off to everyone involved. Um, I, I, I know sometimes, you know, when we talk about our anniversary, sometimes it can get a little bit self-indulgent, but we wouldn't be doing this podcast if the show didn't come back, you know, probably. And it, it's um, a testimony to Russell T. Davies and all the writers involved. And um, speaking of which, we're going to have one later on in this show, which is a special treat for our anniversary show. We have a you probably know who it is from the cover artwork, uh, but we'll save that as a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, let's see what else. Well, James will be joining us during the interview as well. Yes. Um, you know, we wanted to take it uh, a few moments, uh, being that Lewis and I were were with the Gallifreyan Embassy. Well, obviously, Lewis was the founding uh, was the founder of the Gallifreyan Embassy, uh, and I joined about a month in. I, I don't remember the exact. Yeah, you were there from the beginning. Yeah, Lewis formed the the club in mid June. I joined, I think, in mid July. So, and I think I was on the mailing list of something like maybe the 15th member to sign up. And, uh, you know, I, I was at a convention. Uh, I was new to conventions. Uh, conventions were a monthly thing at the time. That's how popular sci-fi conventions. Star Trek, um, Star Trek pioneered the convention experience back in the early to mid-'70s, and then uh, the success of Star Wars, and then uh, the, the arrival of Doctor Who on our shores. Science fiction was was um, in its in its heyday. Uh, the movies at the time, you know, in the mid '80s. I mean, you just had the Star Wars movies, you had Blade Runner, you had all the Indiana Jones movies, the Star Trek movies had just kicked in, uh, and everybody else who wanted to get on the sci-fi bandwagon was was involved uh, making movies. And then at the birth of the Gallifreyan Embassy, we were sitting on the birth of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which brought science fiction back to television. Um, in a big way. Mm. And Doctor Who was all over the airwaves. It was on PBS, and it was on a ton of PBS stations. And uh, as many of the fans who are listening, uh, who became Doctor Who fans in that era of Doctor Who on television, uh, will all remember. And it was a great time, and we got very lucky. Uh, I met some, some friends that I've remained friends with, uh, Lewis, of course, being the most notable uh, that, to the audience, um, that we've been friends for so long. And, and uh, when he said that we're going to do a podcast, he really already knew the answer prior to even asking me that, you know, I would never say no. So, yeah. And here we are. And that's about all we're going to uh, wax. <laughs> on the nostalgic part, because right now everybody's going going right to the interview. So, <laughs> well, before we do that, I do. Uh, we made a, uh, a mention of James not being here, but he'll he will be in the interview segment in the feature segment of this podcast. But uh, because James isn't here, and, and we have yet to do a uh, a studio, if you will, 
podcasts because we've been doing a string of live podcasts as you know mirroring um as we review each episode of the bbc's transmissions of new episodes of doctor who we doing a live show the sunday after you know the day after it's transmitted um reviewing that particular episode but we haven't had a chance of all three of us being together to do a studio recording. We had promised way back when that I think like on episode 70, we were going to pick the winner of the promo con uh, um, exhibition exhibition that we were doing for Dr. Who Podshock. And uh, that's still forthcoming where uh, James is pretty busy right now finishing up his um, master's degree. Uh, I am the master. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> that apropos (laughs) yes so once he's um his schedule kind of frees back frees up again we'll be back doing these studio uh recordings on a regular basis once again we'll still do the live shows though maybe less frequently that hasn't been worked out yet and uh, um so we'll do both but at that time we'll pick a winner um when i say winner we're going to pick the one that we all like the most and we're gonna as a show an expression of gratitude we have something special <clears throat> ipod lined up for you <laughs> so but we haven't forgotten about you so that's that's forthcoming we're also got uh, a couple guests lined up we got so many creative submissions and uh, so we we have a couple guests that work because doctor who's the creativity of doctor who is not just limited to the bbc we in the past we've interviewed interviewed sean huckster who has done who created these wonderful Doctor Who stories using uh, miniatures, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, make, you know, go to his site. You'll find links to it on our site, Podshock.net or Gallifreyembassy.org, and check it out. But there's so many fan-created uh, Doctor Who creations out there, be it audio, um, be it uh, video, whatnot. So. Uh, we wanted to kind of tap upon that. Science fiction fans in general, you 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 see the 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 um, the amount of fan films. You see Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who fan films, uh, amongst many different types of fan films. The people who are interested in sci-fi and fantasy and comics and the things that we're interested in and gaming and things like that are very creative people. And this. This opportunity to do some some uh, promos and stuff, uh, it definitely tapped into that, and and it's been great. It's a lot of fun. Our criteria for judging it is in originality and sense of fun, and um, maybe even making us laugh a bit because we definitely had a good time listening back to them. And uh, it's it's interesting to see people's take on on ourselves, you know, yeah, because yeah. we're three average blokes who, you know, do a podcast. And to hear it, people's it, interpretation be tough of choosing one, I mean, it, it, all of them are, are really winners. I mean, there, there have been so many great entries, and it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely. Amazing. We also wanted to make mention that, and this is strictly in the in, in the uh, the very earliest rumor stages now. But as as many people know, we've never met. Lewis and I have never met James. I was going to say you and I never met after oh, twenty two years working together. On- <laughs> You and I have met, but uh, Lewis, <laughs> neither Lewis nor myself have ever met James. And what we'd like to do, and uh, it also depends on with a little bit of help from perhaps from Sean Lyons and our and our friends at Outpost Gallifrey uh, and the Gallifrey One conventions, um, we'd like to meet James for the very first time and record live together in uh, February 2008 at the next Gallifrey convention. 
it's kind of ironic that we're going to have to travel 3,000 miles in the opposite direction of where James is right now to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not, it's nothing set in stone because it's, there's a lot of planning to be done um, and, and saving to be done, but that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, and, it would be a grand time if we could do it. Yeah. It'd be great. And it would be great because everybody, so many Podshock listeners attend the convention, so we'll have a chance just to be there and hang out and good, clean fun. I'll bring water balloons. <laughs> let's um let's move into something else. We we've done we've spoken about the, the anniversary of the club and we have an interview on deck, but you know, I just wanted to touch a little bit on, on just some goings-on in the Doctor Who universe, and Lewis mentioned about the contest, and we mentioned about possibly attending the, uh, the Gallifrey convention in February of 2008. Uh, and really, that'll work best if it's the three of us together. It'll be, it'll be great fun. Uh, mm-hmm. We also are winding up Series 3 of Doctor Who, and by the time this episode goes out, we shall have concluded... Uh, the third series, the third successful series of the re-envisioning of Doctor Who, and it's just been spectacular so far. And, well, we've done enough of that. Let's get into this interview, because I think that's what everybody's really just chomping at the bit to hear. So, Yeah, we had the, the great pleasure and privilege of um, having on the show with us um, an acclaimed writer of Doctor Who. We've, uh, we'd, we had an interview with him once before um, on location, speaking of the Gallifrey One Convention, at um, the 18th Amendment of Gallifrey, Mike Duran um, had interviewed him. And this year he has got much acclaimed for the two-parter episodes that came out in this series. Um, and that was... Um, I'm getting distracted by the thunder here. <laughs> the nature and the family of blood. Yes. <laughs> probably, it's funny because he and Stephen Moffat are probably neck and neck for... Um, the best story this year is the, the two-parter of Human Nature and Family of Blood and Blink are probably the two episodes I think people are going to be feel the strongest about, feel that were the two most solid, um, best episodes of the season. But Human Nature started as a, as a controversial uh, episode. or, or Controversial a, for two people out there, perhaps. <laughs> but it's just uh, it got a lot of talk. And, um, yeah, the, of all the stories in the season, it was the one most talked about in advance because it was based on a, a novel. Um, and this, this, this issue over canon and stuff like that, it all, it all really meant nothing in the long run. And, you know, it, it, that the kind important of thing is that... that People can enjoy the story, whereas, um, you know, the book is no longer in print. Um, thankfully, the BBC is supplying it as an ebook now that you can download. But yeah, and it, bravo to the BBC for doing yes. that. That's really great. But I mean, you had no it, it's better that this is uh, that a story like this not go to waste and we get to see it in a uh, broadcast televised, you know, uh, version of Doctor Who, which for me, is, um, you know, really the first tier of, 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 of canon material, if you will. All right, so let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back with Mr. Paul Carnell.
This is Paul Cornell, and you're listening to Podshock, presented by Outpost Gallifrey. is the general consensus on this is that she's not kind of like TARDISPOD.com TARDISPOD.com They're alive Okay, we're back with Doctor Who Pachak. And with us, we are very privileged and honored to have on board with us uh, none other than uh, Paul Cornell, a, one of the most prolific recent writers on, of Doctor Who, um, going back to um, the Doctor Who books, to the current television series. Uh, once again, hello, Paul. Hello. Good to have you on board with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us and uh, and taking some time out of your your schedule to uh, to join us on Podshock. It it really feels strange to hear you guys talking to me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm used to hearing you just talking. It feels like maybe I'm having a schizoid episode here where a, a podcast is talking to me. It's very strange. <laughs> well, that's maybe a future episode right there. <laughs> Start pending it now. <laughs> as long as we can all be guests on the show, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep the copyright on my idea there, Chief. <laughs> no problem. Well, first off, we're you're fresh on the heels of a two-parter that was both controversial and incredible. Well, uh, thank it you started very much. out supposedly as controversial, although none of us bought any of that. It was no, controversial no, to one or two people out there, and and it somehow got a lot of um, attention. And then, but I think for most fans, it it wasn't controversial at all. Well, no, I mean I I think it was about two people in the end. Yeah. Uh, and um, I I love how how growly Ken got on my behalf about that. And I I was sitting here, <laughs> here listening to that, thinking, oh, you go, Ken, fantastic, and I really appreciated that. Um, it's um. You know, I can just out the corner of my eye um, see what the people who called for a boycott were talking about. Uh, you know, being an old-time Doctor Who fan, you know, um, continuity is in my blood as well. But at the same time, there are more important things. There really are. 
And mm-hmm. since and since the episode, we've all had fun, and you know, I've popped onto the Outpost Gallifrey uh, boards to do a bit of this, um, trying to work out, you know, how it fits in. I mean, that's the whole thing. Canonicity is there for fun. If it mm. hurts, why are you bothering with it? You know, it's um, I I think um, it, continuity is a game, and this just adds to it. And um, I'm I'm just tremendously proud and pleased with the way these episodes turned out. I think um, I was done tremendous good turns by that cast and wonderful Charles Palmer, the director, um, and just everybody, really. This was one of those where the whole production just worked, and I think I've just lucked out so tremendously. And to have, you know, issues of canonicity get in the way of that, I'm glad they haven't in the end. I don't think anybody will be talking about that, that you know. No, I, I just thought that... <laughs> Too much was made out of just not sitting back and enjoying the show, and mm. and and I've said it time and time again. In Russell, we trust him, and until he gives us a reason to doubt him, you know everything he's done has been spot on, and and we we should continue to, you know, to keep that approach uh, until he gives us a reason not to. And and so far this season, everything has been has been a lot of fun. Uh, the show it continues to be uh, at a very high level. And and in particular, your two episodes, and and since then, it's it's just been a hell of a ride. Well, I I really love those last few minutes of Utopia, especially. I mean, um, just the sheer fanboy rush of everything <laughs> that's happening there in a row. Uh, there's, there's, there's a wonderful clip on YouTube of two, um, I think they're Welsh girls, just watching the show, two two um, teenage fangirls, and they're being videoed doing it, and they're being videoed watching the last few minutes of Utopia. And their um, reaction when he gets the watch out, the surprise and the joy, and somebody, one of them saying, it's going to be the master. Uh, it's just tremendous. It, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's what you're after from this show. Going to um, your two-parter this season with Human Nature and the Family of Blood, how much of a hand did you have in the adaptation from the book to the teleplay? Well, entirely, really. I mean, you know, within the normal parameters of, um, you know, delivering drafts and getting input from everybody else on the team. But, you know, I adapted my own novel I, I, mm-hmm. in, in the way that anybody would adapt their own novel. Um, as, as Russell being um, like sort of the script editor on the show and, 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 um, and keeping the, the entire arc of what the season is going to be like, did he give you anything that had to be in the story or things that oh. he was saying, okay? Oh yes, very much so. I mean, you know, that's that's um, that's what he does. Um, uh, Scarecrows, um, he, he because the um, uh, the villains of the piece don't look particularly monstrous to start with. Um, he wanted um, there to be monsters, so the um, especially the younger part of the audience has something monstrous to enjoy and be afraid of. And he just came out with, "How about we do some scary scarecrows?" And, um, you know, it's um, many, many things like that. Um, he did a polish towards the end, which, um, as, as well, a lot of his work on this actually brought it closer to the book. Um, I started off quite a long way away from the book because I assumed they'd already done a lot of the romance in The Girl in the Fireplace, amongst other things. I kind of second-guessed myself. I um, wrote a modern Doctor Who version of Human Nature, and um, many members of the production team had just read the novel in preparation for this. Russell deliberately didn't. And um, every time he pushed 
uh, in a particular direction. It would be back towards the novel, which I found tremendously flattering, especially since it was coming out of his perhaps forgotten um, memories of what he'd read. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm just, I, I was also very pleased to get the opportunity to do a draft post-polish, which means that, you know, um, I was able to, you know, put the final little cherries in place on top of the cake. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's something I'm tremendously proud of. We, we did, um, I think, four drafts and then three this time, and we were moved forward an entire production block because we were ready. And the sheer competence, you know, the, the ability to get this stuff done, um, it, it's just wonderful. And I had a tremendous time on this one. Do you think that that is as a result of your experience with, with Father's Day? Because I know that that went through a lot of drafts. Like just many, many. Confidentials. Um, do you think that by writing a script for Doctor Who, because I know you, you, you have a history, a very long history with Doctor Who, um, going back to the fanzines and all that sort of stuff, but do you think yeah. that experience really sort of aided your, the writing process in terms of, of writing Human Nature and the Family of Blood to sort of... Uh, set the scene and, and so you knew in a way what to expect yeah i think um i think the only experience that was relevant was father's day in that writing doctor who and writing doctor who for telly i mean it's um they are slightly at odds with each other a lot of your hewish impulses especially since i come from prose and i still um kind of regard myself as most at home in prose um, your prose instincts absolutely are exactly the opposite direction from your TV instincts. And um, I think this time round, I've I got a lot more TV under my belt between um, Father's Day and Human Nature, hence not so many drafts. Fair dues, fair dues. I'll tell you what I've been doing today. Um, I, today, I'm, I'm towards the end of my new big fantasy novel. And I took 12 pages of stuff out of said fantasy novel today. And this has been my the meat of my life for the last two weeks or so. And I've got a huge beard. I'm just at my computer <laughs> from the start of the day to the end of the day. And there's often beer at the end of the day. And I'm hacking away at this mass of, of prose. And I, I hate the me of three months ago who wrote most of, most of this stuff because he was a complete hack. I want to travel back in time. I want to thump him. I want to tell him to do better. But today, having taken 12 pages of stuff out and put it into a separate file, thinking that wasn't the place for that, I put it in somewhere else. At the end of the day, I suddenly thought, oh, and tomorrow I'm going to put it all back. And, uh, <laughs> but, the, but, you know, I really feel that this is what I'm meant to do, that this is the kind of life I'm meant to have. It's tremendously satisfying. And mm -hmm. uh, this kind of great internal wrestle with remembering how all the parts of a book work together, um, it's different from writing TV. I mean, writing TV is just as hard, but it uses different muscles. And uh, writing comics uses different muscles again. And um, I think my prose muscles are a lot better developed than my TV muscles are, even now. I think I'm getting there now with the TV muscles. Primeval has been a wonderful joyride, and that's happened really quickly as well, and I gather they're well pleased. So, you know, I think my muscles are in place now. But certainly, Father's Day, um, I don't think I was quite there in terms of telly, and now I think I am, and that's why, you know, human nature was a much easier experience for everybody. How mm -hmm. far... How far back did you know that, um, that they wanted to adapt Human Nature? Was there a, a production meeting prior to the start of the season, or was it during last season? Like, uh, It was way during last season. Um, uh, 
uh, I always have have these anecdotes of uh, you know where I was when I got the call, and uh, I think I've become um, I've become Terence. I have my anecdote <laughs> for every occasion now. And you know, when you're a writer, you have precious few anecdotes. It's mostly you know I was sitting at my keyboard and I hit D, I thought, and then oh oh, and hmm, a C should come next. I'm like Grandpa Simpson with those, and um, I think um, this time round, uh, everybody's heard my my you know, Father's Day, where I was, anecdote, oven chips. But um, uh, this time round, I was um, sitting on my sofa at Hope the Fair Rug, and it was Russell. And he said, now, how about two-parter, next series? And I said, you want me to adapt to human nature? And he was sure somebody had told me. <laughs> and I swear, it just came into my head. Um, kind of because, uh, way back in the day, um, when me and Gareth Roberts and Matt Jones and Rebecca Levine the four of us used to convene in the 15 years, the 15-year gap between old Who and new, in a little committee to bring back Doctor Who, because we were all getting, you know, careers in TV at that point. And heaven knows our efforts were puny and futile. But um, we were going to do human nature. That was on our kind of list of things to do. And, and it always struck me as sort of an obvious story to tell, whether or not I'd be the one to tell it or whether or not it would be based on the book. But I always thought someday somebody's going to tell something like that. Now, this group that you got together with, it didn't have an acronym called Linder or something like that. <laughs> we should have done, really. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have, you've seen uh, in Utopia this past week the, the use of the, of the watch again uh, to, to hide the master and things like that. Were you involved in an overall uh, umbrella or arc meeting no. about uses of different things and, and where it was going? Nope, that's entirely Russell stuff. Um, you know, one of his things as showrunner is to work out the shape of the season. I mean, on uh, the first season, when um, I thought I can find out what Bad Wolf is by asking him if he wants me to put a reference in the episode. So I emailed him saying, do you want a Bad Wolf in this one? And he wrote back saying, yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I never I, I I went for the graffiti and that was the last I ever heard of that. But um, <laughs> he keeps this stuff very close to his chest, as he has to. You know, he doesn't want to want to want this stuff getting out onto the internet. And well, it still winds up getting out anyway. Well, to my understanding, the original story of Human Nature had it wasn't a fob watch; it was a cricket ball that in, in, yeah. that contained the doctor's. Um, you know, personality, if you will. Uh, was this uh, change uh, done on, you know, did Russell T. Davies say we need to change this because we need to use this in a future episode? Or was, th or was this change something that you just did to refresh the story? No, it was originally a cricket ball this time round. Um, we went through, you know, a few drafts of it being a cricket ball. And, um, but basically, this is one of these pros to TV things. Um, why do you need a fob watch? Because it's got something on it that you can open to indicate, you know, there's got some, there's got something mm -hmm. that um, can, uh, that is obviously hasn't been opened yet. Yeah. With a cricket ball, you know, how can you tell if that's opened or not? Yeah. What do you do with it? It's not obvious what you do with it. Um, people could have some suggestions as to what you might do with it. And uh, with a fob watch, you know, there's a moment there. There's an opening. And this is this is what Russell does. You know, he does TV, and that's TV. But he gave you no indication that it was going to be reused again in another story. Um, I kind of picked that up from um, 
<clears throat> various members of the cast and crew. And, uh, <laughs> that will remain nameless. <laughs> you know, there are a... Mm, yeah, that will remain nameless. <laughs> Good show. Now, are there any... Uh, is there any talk at this point, being that we're coming to the end of, of Series 3, as to uh, Series 4, uh, commissioning, ideas? Has any been, anything come your way yet? Um, I, I'm not on Series 4. Yeah, we, the writers um, have been announced, and we're very um, sad to see that your name wasn't among them. Was that? Yeah, me too. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I should add two caveats I always add about this stuff. Um, that They told me a long time ago that was going to be the case. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I'm still absolutely on the best of terms with these people. I was emailing Russell this morning. They invited me down to a huge um, uh, Doctor Who BBC corporate party a couple of weeks ago. You know, we're not, we're not at each other's throats, and I haven't been sacked. Um, uh, you know, it's um, uh, they overcommissioned quite a lot last season, and that's been used again. And you know, it's a squad system. I'm happy with that. I get to write my primeval, and also I get to p pursue some lovely, lovely TV opportunities which are happening mm -hmm. at the moment, about which I shall say no more. Mix things up a bit, <laughs> but they must be very pleased with the um, the, the outpouring of good, um, you know, accolades for Human Nature and Family of Blood. Oh yeah, I'm. Lovely, lovely um, re reception for it, and some really nice, um, you know, uh, BBC reaction to that. Um, you know, I, I feel thoroughly cosseted and loved by Russell. It's nice. So I'm sure they'll be ringing you up again soon enough. Uh, series five. <laughs> well, hey, well, I always say that I, I work on the odd number series. I'm always available <laughs> for selection by Doctor Who. That's what I always say. <laughs> if if the call came today, just you know, perchance the phone rings and it's Russell and he's like, you know, you know what, I need a story. Is there something always in your mind where it's like if he called and said, what have you got for me? That you just, um, went, you know, well, funny you yeah. should mention it, I have this. Yeah, I've got something, but uh, I think we all have, haven't we? You probably have as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you called, yeah, I, I, probably could, I probably could whip something up. Oh, you can probably fake something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, no, um, yeah, of course there is. But um, obviously, obviously, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, that's understandable. But uh, out of the stories that you have written, is there anything that, that you also feel would make a great translation to television, or you'd rather not say? Um, I, th I think um, it, it's not the one in my head, but I think a lot of the books... Um, uh, probably not happy endings, um, but apart from that, <laughs> yeah, I think um, and no future would be particularly horrible. So we're down to a couple, really. But you know, I, I think there are there's other stuff to be done with stuff from the books. I mean, these were all my biggest possible ideas at the time, you know. And um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's 25 words or less. Is that to be bunged on screen? Let me. Um, I, I also wanted to say, being that you were mentioning books, one of the most indispensable books in my collection is the Discontinuity Guide. Yeah, I have that too. I, I, I can't live without it. I, I will not, I'm not saying it because you are on the show with us when I tell you that it is probably an every day, if not every other day, kind of read where it's a pick it up, thumb to an episode, especially if I'm looking for something to watch. It'll be like, well... You know, I'll read something, some passages that you guys have written, and I'll say, I gotta, I gotta watch that and see, you know, see what they're talking about. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I think um, it, it's a, a nice piece of work between the three of us. Um, and uh, I think for a start, it was, um, it's the first book that 
put, used that format of episode guide, you know, of individual headings for different kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there have been so many guides like that since. You yes. Know, I, think, I, I think we started a kind of format there. And um, I like the analytical thing that, you know, you can actually look at the, um, the name, the constellation of Kasturbrus and do a bit of deduction to figure out what that might actually imply. I think an awful lot, and this is one of the things I find annoying as a Doctor Who fan about fandom, that often, I suppose it's a, a kind of creative thing, often fan fiction just takes these concepts which haven't been really unpacked. I mean, why is the Doctor's homeworld in a constellation? A constellation is a group of stars you can see from a particular point. It doesn't mean anything astronomically. Um, and they don't unpack it. We don't unpack it. We let it sort of sit there and use that as a repeated meme rather than, you know, mm-hmm. diving into it and sorting it out and seeing what that means. And the discontinuity guide was an exercise in doing that. And, um, you know, I think it started off a whole, a whole vein of people doing that stuff in Doctor Who and outside it. Yeah, so, um, and, and, and a couple times some of the other authors have, have given the nod to, to the three of you as, you know, being the, the first ones to kind of put that together. Well, I noticed that Terence um, started doing season 6B after that, which was very flattering. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, though, some absolute howlers on my part in that book. Um, the idea that um, the um, guy who's found dead in the sensorites works for um, an organization called I-N-E-E-R, rather than actually being an engineer <laughs> and having that written, <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, something I'm not particularly proud of. <laughs> But for our listeners that may not be familiar with the book, uh, I just want to make a mention that it's, it's also co-written with Martin Day and Keith Topping, isn't, isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they, these are, we were kind of fandom muckers. We always kind of hung around together and we wrote many books together. And um, yeah, uh, that was great fun. We, we divided it up and then kind of critiqued each other's stuff. And um, we were a little too much... Um, there's a double entendre section in there. Um, yeah, which is worth every penny for that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I mean, normally my policy towards double entendres is if I notice a double entendre, I whip it out immediately. But um, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> Good policy. I think it's, uh, it, it's because we were all watching uh, John Bolyu's wonderful fan videos of the time, mashups, which had a lot of double entendres in them. And I, I, I would not have that section in there at the top, in there now. Though I'm, you know, I, I was kind of the chief mover behind it at the time. And so, it was the, <laughs> it is, there's this relentless uh, mention of flares being being used. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the more subtle stuff is good fun actually. But it's, you know, when we have to stretch to find one, that it doesn't become so far. <laughs> but um, you know, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really pleased with that book. I think it's still a fun little thing. And I'm, I'm, great, I'm glad there's a current edition out from Monkey Brain Books, that, you know, so it's not just entirely um, copies that have fallen in the bath and become brown and uh, careworn. Is yeah. it, the updated one, does it have the current series in it? No, we didn't, we didn't update it at all. We just have a new introduction slapped on oh. the front. It's because um, me, Marty, and Keith would have to do it together, and it's very difficult for us, us to work together now. We're all three doing our own things, and um, mm-hmm. getting the band back together, would be, especially for something that big, would be really tough. And, and also, how am I going to do discontinuity stuff about the new series? You know, it's, it's... <laughs> Yeah, but that's, that would be the brilliance of it all. It would be very, very appreciative, and uh, because you know, you know, I am. It's not that I'm kind of putting. Uh, people, people seem to, to to require us to be critical about it, but but 
you work on a show with a bunch of friends and mm. you, you see the sheer effort that you put in and you know it's not being um uh it's not putting up a front it's not lying to say that you like just about everything these guys do because yeah, yeah. you know you've seen them work at it. it it's like you know who's the ugliest member of your family you know do you want to tell me now <laughs> now you're you're um you're involved in the new show so like you're saying it's tough to be critical now we lewis and james and i have reviewed episodes and we've been critical and not critical of people well, that well, you well, work you know, with on a regular basis and i'm proud yeah, but, to say we've loved your episodes so well thank you <laughs> but, 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 you know, but you know that's that's your job and that's that's fine you know it's uh, there's there's, there's it, a, yeah. no animosity there then no no hatred of us really this no, is, no, this not is at just all. to set the record straight uh... <laughs> oh hey who do who do you think's got animosity Silence. <laughs> There's crickets. In there. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> uh, but, but was there any anything that we've ever ever mentioned that um, that perhaps you you know said okay I, that that's way off base or you know or, or, I, I or do you I feel that we've kind of been kind of on target with what the overall reaction has been to the show? Well, about my own episodes, I think um, I can't remember anything any occasion when you were anything but um, lovely. Um, you know, it's uh, groovy. Well, that's but, because we um, really liked them. <laughs> well, thank you. There we go. But, well, I had to edit out all the parts, all the parts of the podcast when they said it was rubbish, and I just edited it out because I knew you were listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not true. <laughs> I've been listening to these big round tables of yours, and uh, they they sound really fun. I mean, how does that go? How do, how does that work out? Do you just sort of go online and people suddenly pop up and start talking at you? Well, exactly. yeah, they, basically, yeah. We have a, a set of regulars that are, um, you know, regular contributors to the show that are, you know, they are live with us. And then anyone that wishes to participate, they can enter a, a queue, and it's just like a live and call-in show. So, um, and then we select them, and you know, otherwise we'll have you know, thirty people talking at once. This way, we can somehow organize it that way, and it's just great to get live feedback while we're recording and. Um, it's been very interesting. The only downside is that it's a new technology, so, so the audio quality is not where we would like it to yeah, be. Yeah, it's not quite there yet. And that's been, I guess, the only criticism we've had really from the, the listeners, that the, the quality hasn't been there, aside from the fact that, you know, it's pod shock, so it just goes on forever. <laughs> it, it, it is a bit of an assault on the senses sometimes, your, uh, your, your raw and uncut shows, it must be said. They, you know, they, they can be a little hard to listen to. <laughs> Well, Each show is foreign and cut. That's news <laughs> to me. Is it news to you, Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the well, most. How, how do you describe them? You've got this this phrase you use. It's well, I, I borrowed it from James. Actually, James came up with the term um, "rough, ready, and roar" because that's a podcast that James has, um, which has nothing to do with Doctor Who, really. But it's um, it seemed to. Oh, it really. So you're sitting there in the Netherlands um, working on the Rough, Ready and Raw podcast. I really want to know more. <laughs> well, this is in itself a double entendre, so... You know. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. Yeah, but let's not go there, no. No, I haven't done one in quite some time, but uh, it's, it's slightly different. But it's essentially the same, except instead of it talking about Doctor Who, it's just talking about a load of rubbish really but beer is still involved and it's still... They drink a lot of ale. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. 
But uh, it's kind of been put on hold for the time being. I guess Potshock has taken up most of our time, I guess, in terms <laughs> to of the all his free time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back onto the back onto the Paul interview of the portion of the program. Well, it was like turn the table as Paul was interviewing us. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great podcast you in get itself. What you give. You get what uh, you give. What Paul, you you've, worked, you've had a number of different mediums that you've written for, and, and in particular with Doctor Who, with um, books and television and things. Is there anything that either A, uh, you really enjoyed doing and you wanted to do, you, you know, continue to explore, and B, uh, was there anything that you haven't done yet? Something that you're saying, I've been dying to do this. I mean, uh, anyone who, got, who had an opportunity to write for the new show, that's got to be the top of the top. But if, the, yeah. if there's something that's still out there that you say, you know, I have an idea, it may not be right for television, but it might be right for this. Or... Well, I've, I've, I've done, uh, one of the things like that was um, uh, writing for Colin Baker, um, and doing the um, one-episode story for the Big Finish 100 um, anthology mm -hmm. uh, has, has finally allowed me to do that. So I've now written for the voices of all of them who are alive apart from Tom, including, you know, um, one who became um, uh, unbound, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, that wonderful noun which we've turned into a verb now by the, by the through Scream of the Shalker. Um, so that was nice, uh, finally taking off my last Doctor. Um, I think, um, what else? Uh, there's not a lot left now. I mean, I've kind of... Um, uh, I've, I've kind of explored every media. Um, the, um, uh, I brought this up on Outpost Gallifrey once in a thread, and uh, somebody said, well, no, there are a few more media that you could... Uh, you know, do Doctor Who in, and you know, there are things like a uh, puppet shows, um, no <laughs> theatre, um, grand opera, uh, mime. But um, I think um, in in all uh, media that I could actually assume might actually be made, um, I think I, I've done it really. Uh, so um, I, I keep retiring. I've been retiring almost since the start of my Doctor Who career, <laughs> but. Um, I think uh, I have had more comeback tours than Frank Sinatra, but um, it, it's usually because somebody comes up with a new idea and uh, says, ah, but how about this thing, which it, nobody's done before, like with Circular Time, the one-episode stories, um, where I, I just suddenly thought, because of the um, speed of narrative on the new show, wouldn't one-episode stories be a good idea and pitch that? And um, they were very, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And um, when it's something like that, when either me or somebody else has come up with something which is brand new, then I'm much more inclined to do it. But I think I may have now now ticked all the boxes. I, I And there's nothing sitting out there um, in Doctor Who making me think, you know, I, I really want to go and do that particular thing. And I haven't done. Um, always up for the new show. Apart from that, I think I've done it. You pinch yourself every day and go, my God, I work in television. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, or somebody else comes along and pinches me for me. Um, I think it's, um, no, it's, it, it's, it's lovely. You know, you've, you've really got to uh, take time to sit back and do grasses. Um, grass is perfectly okay on this side of the fence, actually. Um, because, you know, it's such a slow process that you kind of edge into it happening and it really being there. You know, there's the moment of commission, there's the start of filming, there's it, it being on, on screen. So I, I try and make a big thing, and you've seen it before it's on screen anyway. So I, I try and make a big thing of broadcast night. We had um, a big party over here for the um, um, uh, 
uh, Human Nature Room broadcast night, and um, we filled my front room with oh, with friends from uh, the town, and including a number of small children who were satisfyingly scared. One of whom had to leave halfway through because the scarecrows were a bit scary, and. Um, you know, he picked his way out of the room and every inch of, of space was u being used. And then he had to come back about 10 minutes later and said very bravely, I have to go back in there. I've got to get my shoes and uh, picked his way once more through with, the, I think, a hand over his eyes. <laughs> he, was, he was six, I think, which is just a little bit below our target audience. Mm -hmm. But um, no, so I, I, that's tremendously satisfying, the, the ability to show it off to, uh, you know, family and friends here. And my dad has been tremendously pleased. Um, you know, the, the scene at the end, the war memorial, um, is very important to him because, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a Burma, Burma Star veteran. And, um, uh, you know, getting to do that and, um, uh, you know, Father's Day as well. Um, that, uh, pleasing one's family and friends is, is great with this stuff. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I'm a jam, jammy git. It was um, very touching, I have to say. I, I, I really enjoyed the ending there. It's a nice touch. Oh, thank you. I, I, I'm really pleased we got to do that. It's straight from the book. And, um, you know, Russell said really early on, and, you know, we're working towards that war memorial scene. And I thought, oh, great. They really do want to do the book. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, uh, my, many of my multiple, one of my many multiple endings. We've got more endings than Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, and... Um, <laughs> But, you know, they're all kind of necessary. Uh, that's the lovely thing. Well, when um, I was originally watching that ending, I was thinking to myself, it wouldn't it have been something if, um, I guess it's the Timmy character, gives the fob watch back to the Doctor, then it has come full circle. But, you know, that was obviously before Utopia, and obviously that watch had other purposes. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I really like um, Tim watching the TARDIS disappear as well. I always like seeing yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, that was, was great. great. And, yeah, and uh, classic Doctor Who with what the Doctor says as well is, you'll like this or whatever. That was just brilliant. And I, well, he, he knows what we're thinking, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Father like Santa Claus, or Father Christmas, I should say. I, I particularly love, by the way, that scene where, um, and I'm talking in terms of production and acting here, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I, that's the nice thing about this being a team game, you know, when you, you can talk about how much you enjoy the end, end product, because it's not just you. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I love where the Doctor has already changed back and goes into their spaceship. Because if you are on second viewing, if you look at what David Tennant is doing, it's absolutely brilliant. It's the Doctor playing John Smith. And the Doctor yeah. can't quite play John Smith as well as David Tennant can. And the levels of what he has to do there, oh, tremendous stuff, tremendous stuff. Um, I, I particularly love the fact that in the um, uh, read-through, where everybody gathers around a table and all the actors, um, you know, kind of read their parts or act their parts as it goes these days, um, everybody at the start um, says your name and who you're playing. And David said, David Tennant, John Smith. And, you know, that really underlined where he was coming from for this. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, uh, uh, Gary Russell, um, uh, uh, the wonderful Harry Lloyd wasn't there that day, and so Gary Russell played Baines at the read-through, and he did a tremendous job of it, it must be said. Did David come to you at all and, and ask you any questions Can, oh, when, when, when you write a... You, you know, you, you, you don't... It, it, 
an actor will go to the director for that. That's that's mm. post, you know, that's post when you hand over your baby to the the director. Right. Um, I mean, somebody David's else's hand. Yeah, I mean, David is always lovely. We we um, myself and my wife popped along to the filming on two occasions. We were there um, at the foot of um, John Smith's bed when he wakes up at the start, and um, uh, we were there for um, mother of mine dropping from the ceiling on her. <laughs> <laughs> on her 60 feet of rope being very skillfully it's not actually dropping she's lowered but she's lowered at a speed that approximates freefall and that poor and wonderful actor to be raised and lowered so fast and she was such such a fear of heights and me and helen rayner were sitting just over there um on the um uh, tardis set because the tardis has big lights underneath the metal um casing so it's warm and this, the warehouse is pretty cold and uh, so we were just watching her plunge up and down 60 times or however many times it was but um you know so i was there for, on two occasions and david's always lovely david has this thing of being able to um switch off starstruckness in people um he comes over to you very naturally and very straightforwardly mm -hmm. and i think he's probably one of those actors who can go shopping locally in his Tesco's without anybody recognising him, rather like Marilyn Monroe was able to stop being Marilyn Monroe when she wanted to go out shopping. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's almost a, a, a like a doctor-like characteristic to be able to sort of um, blend in. Yeah, or, or to or to make people feel very comfortable with him. You know that, that mm -hmm. he's yeah he's a star, but you know yeah. someone can walk up to him and they don't. There's a a, a deflating of it, isn't it? You all of a sudden the nervousness is gone when the person is. You know, genuinely Freem, glad to see you. Or and and Freema's very natural and lovely as well. Um, you know, she uh, during that uh, that day, um, between every take, she was running back to the script editor Lindsay Orford, learning by rote the names of the bones in the hand. Oh yeah. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I got to say, that wasn't me that did that to her. That's a, a Russell uh, last minute polish thing. The bones in the hand. It's brilliant. But I think Russell gets off on uh, making actors go through these horrible, lengthy <laughs> learning turns of phrase. And, you know, Freema had it, but she kept popping back and doing a bit of revision. And these are, these are the things actors, actors have to go through. It's a hard life being an actor. <laughs> but she's, a, she's been doing an incredible job, I, I have to say. Uh, personally, I've been yeah. really pleased with her um, in this series. She's really taken on to the role, and she just fits in the companion role so beautifully. And um, mm. it's nice. Not Freema. I mean, yeah. you know, it's human nature is her story, really. Uh, it, she gets yeah. to, to save the Doctor from beginning to end, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Mm. So, Paul, if you could step into our TARDIS, and if we can go back in time, uh, uh, go back to the beginning, a, a couple, well, not to the beginning, let's go back to the end of the original series. Um, two years after uh, the original series had gone on to its long hiatus, I don't want to say cancellation, you were one of the uh, four writers that were brought on. We had the um, the privilege of interviewing John Peel a few months ago, and oh, hey. you were one of the four that were brought on to. Because uh, up until that point, Doctor Who novels were only novelizations of of television series of television episodes, yeah. and so this. I mean, there were only four writers. How did you? I mean, um, how were you on the radar of? Uh, Virgin I, books. I sent in something. Um, Peter Darvill Evans had um, got in touch with the fan fiction community. There was no internet in those days, so he put um, adverts in um, 
oh, Doctor Who magazine and DWB and actually asked for manuscripts. And um, I'd been writing fan fiction for the fanzines. Mm-hmm. And so I read his um, guidelines and I adapted um, one of my fan fiction stories. And I wrote, you know, something from the middle of Revelation, uh, chapter 12 or something. And, um, you know, I think uh, I think what he might have liked was that I treated the time worm very much as my own thing. I didn't back away from it um, because there wasn't really much information given in the guidelines. I thought, well, they'll have to give me a lot more information anyway, so let me embrace it and show how I'd treat it, you know, if I knew everything about it. And, um, you know, I was pretty bold. Um, I kind of, I wrote the sort of Doctor Who I'd always written in my fanzine stories, which was full-on adventures, that is to say, um, not little character pieces or continuity gap pieces or twist ending pieces. And um, with this with this huge emotional content, which, you know, um, I think was something that was developed in New Adventures and which has gone on into the TV show. I always say the TV show is the New Adventures by other means. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, um, you know, I was just lucky enough to be picked out of the pile. And uh, so I introduced, uh, after I was picked out, I introduced a continuity element with um, uh, Terence's book, just so I could have an excuse to meet Terence. Mm. And, um, you know, it's uh, it all went from there, really. It's, uh, oh, that was a nice moment, getting the letter that, that said, um, Peter put it, if you're not careful, you'll be writing for the first, um, in, in the first um, year's worth of new advent- Doctor Who New Adventures. And I thought, not careful? What does not careful mean? And I had to go and show the letter to a few other people to sort of convince myself I'd actually got in. Uh, and, um, no, oh, Peter Dovelevin's a great deal. He's a great man. He's, he's not recognised enough by fandom. You know, he uh, sorted out Doctor Who at a period in its life and um, really got it healthy for the next stage. Yeah, the the Virgin novels carried the the series, if you will, through most of the 90s until, um, you know, that's when the Big Finish came, you know, the Big Finish audio adventures came around. And um, in fact, it was uh, Bernice Summerfield, one of your characters that you had created for um, um, the New Adventures books. I've just been writing stuff for um, Simon Guerrier's um, uh, big history of Bernice, which is coming out in autumn. Oh, great. Um, yeah, it's uh, Bernice Summerfield, The Inside Story, which is it's a typical big finish um, behind-the-scenes book. You know, it's blood on the carpet. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, um, the last one they did, um, the um, Doctor Who Audio's Inside Story, um, was full of every single terrible thing that happened. We we went around calling it Big Finish Babylon, and um, <laughs> which you know it comes as a bit of a shock when you're used to Andrew Pixley's accounts of what happened behind Doctor Who production in DWM, um, which you have to sort of read like Pravda to see between the lines as to um, uh, following a long lunch, um, the cast had some lengthy and serious discussions which held up filming for some time. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> I think in, in the Big Finish book making of books, they're, they're really much more um, blood and gore. And the big and the, and the Benice book particularly. I mean, oh my goodness! Some of the th- stuff I got away with, and some of the bad things I did. Um, so I'm reading this history and being dragged back to those times and writing commentary for Simon. And uh, it was like the Wild West. I mean, these days, Doctor Who writers of our generation, we've all got old and settled down, and you know the uh, the hormones do not fly as wildly as they did back then. But goodness, we produced some fine stuff between us where we were all. 
you know, at each other's throats or loins. And um, it, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm plugging the Bernice book here as a jolly good read, but um, the Benicias were um, all these new writers for a start, all getting first breaks and defining the series. And heaven knows that a Doctor Who spin-off companion character could keep going 15 years after she first appeared with with no support from Doctor Who apart from the first couple of years, you know? Mm. I mean, I'm I'm flabbergasted, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very good a big finish to, you know, invest all that time and thought in her. But um, I'm still a huge fan of Benny. I, I'm, I love the fact that the audio line is still going and that, you know, we're still giving opportunities to new writers and, and there are still so many fans of it out there. Um, the um, Down Among the Dead Men Yahoo mailing list um, is the Vinny's mailing list. And we've still got a thriving little community on there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just adore the fact she's still around. Well, she's made the so transition from books to um, audio. Maybe uh, television's the next step. Um, well, that would be good, eh? But, uh, you know, that sounds like I know something about it, and I really don't. <laughs> no, no, uh, I'm just speculating. I, I think um, Jason's often talked about a video, but the costs would be so prohibitive. But, you know, since Jason is a multimillionaire, you thought, well, maybe he could just do it. But no, he doesn't work <laughs> like that. But um, <laughs> I do nudge him about that. Last time I saw him, I said, you're a millionaire, aren't you? He said, multi. <laughs> Fancy like making a new investment. <laughs> but it's Does not often success... you can get to say that. <laughs> Does the success of, um, of the audios, the big finishes, surprise you? Or did it seem like a natural thing for... To start with Doctor Who, and now it's gone into Judge Dredd and, and, and different spin-offs and I think Tomorrow People. and Well, Benice were their test bed, of course. Um, they, they did Benice audios before they did Doctor Who audios. And it seemed like a strange idea at first. Because, you know, forecast audio dramas sold direct to a fan audience. Nobody had done that before. There had been talking books before. But, you know, nobody had basically made their own radio shows and sold them. And, uh, you know, Big Finish are, are a brand leader. I mean, like a lot of stuff which happens within Doctor Who fandom, we, we are such a creative bunch that, you know, we do stuff which the rest of the world then starts copying. But, um, again, Big Finish have made it obvious that their every month should be a new old Doctor story with forecast audio. And that's by no means obvious. That's some, something they've done and uh, put into the world. It's great. It's revolutionary when you think about it. Well, yeah. Well, there, there was some good coming out of um, Michael Grade's actions then. <laughs> it <laughs> well, forced yeah. fans to create their own mediums. And, yeah, and, it, and it almost time. seemed like a natural thing, you know, Doctor Who and audio. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, you, know, you have to exercise your imagination and things. It, was, it almost yeah. seemed built in. Yeah. <laughs> well, and everybody who'd always thought the books aren't real because they haven't got actors in them, you know, well, that was their ideal thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, both the books and the audios have the best special effects and sets. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely, I, I, I'm a huge fan of audio drama. I think it's a great medium in which to uh, tell stories. And, and Paul, Paul, you stand out as the only writer to has to have written to for both Ninth Doctors because uh, before <laughs> there was a um, Christopher Eccleston Ninth Doctor, there that's, was a Richard E. Grant. Ninth that's Doctor. That was um, Scream of the Shocker webcast by the BBC. I am not the only writer to have written for two Ninth Doctors. Oh, I, I stand corrected, or sit corrected, uh, as it were. Well, um, Moffat as well. 
Yes, if you if you're thinking comedy lines for the well, yeah, I'm thinking Curse of the Fatal Death, yeah, yes, yeah. And, and and it was very nearly the uh, it was only accident. <laughs> it could have been the same <laughs> Ninth Doctor, <laughs> but um, no, it's well, uh, there's a similarity with the Master as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, I I think basically you got Derek Jacobi. You just want to employ him, you know, and uh, he, he was. He, <laughs> He, he, was, he was actually working across town at the same time as he was doing Schalke, uh, Derek, uh, Sir Derek. Um, he was working across town on the um, Doctor Who Unbound for Big Finish. Mm-hmm. And he was rather circumspect about it. He would not be drawn on this, but he was definitely working for us both at the same time. And me and Rob would, Rob Sherman would get together and laugh about it. And, and I, do you know that in the, um, in the studio next door to where Schalke's audio was being recorded, um, David Tennant was working on um, a Terry Pratchett audio adaptation, and um, as it, I, I've only just recently learned that it was actually written by a friend of mine who was popping into the same studio at the same time, and we missed each other completely. But um, so David heard there was Doctor Who in the studio next door, and simply because he was such a huge Doctor Who fan, and thought, well, I better take any chance I can get to be in any form of Doctor Who because you know it may never come up again. Um, he came into our studio and insisted upon uh, getting a small part. He, he was probably very charming about it. So we divided a part in two, and he gets two lines as second warehouseman. And um, I, I think that's a tremendous cast these days in Schalke. Um, <laughs> so Derek Jacobi, David Tennant, um, Sophie Arcadino, who was in Hotel Rwanda, and Richard E. Grant. It'd be hard to get them back for a reunion show. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. It was a. Um, also a, a revolutionary production. It was. A, it was a uh, the start of what was prior to the announcement of the new series going to television. It seemed like um, the future of Doctor Who for a short time was going to be it in these in these time. webcasts. Yeah, I, I think um, we were basically the straw that broke the camel's back. The BBC had to decide. You know, is this going to be Doctor Who? Um, you know, flash animation on computers. And I think maybe that gave them a little bit of leverage, uh, those who'd always wanted it to return as a TV show. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, maybe we had a little bit of uh, John the Baptist-like influence, I don't know. But um, it's, it, I, I'm still very fond of it, and I think everybody involved did their best. But uh, And, you know, Cosgrove Hall's, the effort they put into that animation... Mm-hmm. I think the trouble is that the sheer technology, the, the speed of streaming animation at the time was such that, mm. you know, um, especially since um, we were told viewers had to see it live on their computers, they couldn't sit there and wait for it to load and then watch it. That, um, that limited the animation to such an extent that we were a little limited. But, you know, having said that, I think the animators did a fabulous job. And yes. I, 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 I'd like that doctor to come back some someday somehow. I think... Um, it, it, it's interesting to see how a lot of the choices made are just obvious these days. That um, the characters of Rose and um, well, I can't remember her name. Who Sophie Oconedo plays? Um, no, I can't remember. But they are um, both have very similar relationships to their Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, and this isn't you know this is just because that's the way to do it these days. That's that's your template. That's what you go for as a matter of straightforward instinct um uh, we went in different directions uh russell um decided that chris should be um you know your um every man 
and um, I went for a very aristocratic, very hard to know doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think Russell's right. Uh, I, I like aristocratic and hard to know simply because now it's different to what we've had. But, you know, I think um, he'd have had to have warmed up quite a lot if that had been an ongoing show. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it sort of harks back to the original uh, William Hartnell, you know, his portrayal. Well, he was hard to know and hard to understand. <laughs> I want to know if human nature keeps on happening, you know, if, if both things are canonical, the book and the TV show. You know, do, do eventually is Joan pestered by every single incarnation of the Doctor? You know, is William Hartnell going to come up to her at some point and go, yes, yes, well, I, I, I shall make, have to make you a cup of cocoa. Hmm. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, I know, I kind of like that thought. I mean, poor Joan, you know, there's one, one along every year throughout the, um, the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? I don't know what I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, though. <laughs> I've had a long day, and I'm just kind of spieling at you. Yeah. No, that's quite all right. We're having a great time, and it's it's, it's just uh, it's it's great to have someone who's on the inside who comes from a background that we come from, which is we're just fans. We enjoy the show. We imagine just as much as anybody else. But you've actually put it into action. Oh, yeah, said, we're all tremendously envious, by the way, just to, in case you haven't uh, realized that. But it's not because Paul is just lucky. He's very talented and, um, I mean, it well, shows absolutely. in his writing and... Well, of course, because we're that same. <laughs> I think uh, there's, there's an awful lot of luck involved, but you know, you make your own luck. You um, get you get an awful lot of stuff turned down. You keep coming back with new stuff. It's um, um, what? Let me think. Um, what was I going to say? I um, I, I became a TV writer, um, in the 15 years Doctor Who was off the air. Um, it, so that when Doctor Who returned, I would be able to write Doctor Who. It was all part of your master plan. Well, you know, I, I, it was always the thought in my head. And um, <laughs> I, know, I think it, didn't Stephen Moffat say the same thing in a recent Doctor Who Confidential? Yeah, absolutely. He <laughs> he was getting he was getting to a point where he seriously could have been commissioned for Andrew Cartmel's next season. I mean, he was into the middle of press going by that point. Um, I got a very nice turning down letter from Andrew Cartmel, um, which would have been about his last season. Uh, for a script I sent in, which was terrible. Um, elements of which showed up in um, the novel The um, Shadows of Avalon, actually. But, um, no, um, we were all just about getting there and didn't... Moffat, for years, was regarded this as the great shaggy dog story of his life, that he'd become a TV writer just too late to work on Doctor Who. So, you know, wow. he, was, he was always going to be up, up for this. Yeah. It, it seemed, and seemed almost Russell the same way. Uh, you know, maybe not so much as... It, it, you know, it was like dying to make Doctor Who. At some point, he says, you know, that, that, that was almost on his plate. Like, if I become so successful, they can't turn me down when I want to do this. Well, that's exactly how it happened. He kept turning down the BBC for various projects and kept saying to them, but if you, if you offered me Doctor Who, I would come over to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took them a long time to take that seriously. And Because um, yeah, he was doing productions for Channel 4 and... And ITV and... Yeah. Um, yeah, um, Bob and Rose and uh, Mine All Mine and uh, everybody. Yeah, yeah, loads. And and this is the this is the thing you see when your acclaimed prize-winning big-time drama writer keeps on insisting that he wants to do Doctor Who. You know that's what makes Doctor Who come back. Um, you know it's that or David Jason saying he wants to be Doctor Who. One of those two things would have been required, 
And, you know, we're here now because of Russell, you know, um, because, you know, he was um, a Dennis Potter level TV writer who wanted to do Doctor Who. Um, I, I remember particularly in terms of his love for the show, um, a call I once got from him after um, uh, Rose came came out and got 10 million. And, you know, he was expecting he would have thought six million would have been great for Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, you could still get odds on um, Ant and Deck winning that time slot in uh, for ITV that, uh, the night before. In fact, I think they were the favourites. Ten million. It was a, like an earthquake going through the BBC. It, it said that there was a family audience out there that they thought had gone. And, that you know, you could sell an SF show, you could sell a fantasy show, you could sell a family show on a mm-hmm. Saturday night, and they would come back for it. And um, after ten million, um, he said, he, he, he called me up and said, well, that's there. We've done it now. Um, in 40 years, somebody else will be able to bring back Doctor Who because they'll be able to point to that night. And that's the, the, the level of fanboy that he is. You know, he's caring about what happens in 40 years. Mm. Um, we got we had the right man at the right time. I, I remember even with with Johnny S. Turner during Trial of the Time Lord, turning down the opportunity to make the Valyard the 13th Doctor so that he wouldn't tie the hands of a future producer. Well, and yeah, but you, you know, don't hear of that in television. Well, no, indeed, and I think that's that's very caring. I mean, future producer would um, <laughs> just have either used that in a wonderful way, or more likely, completely ignored it anyway. But um, it's uh, it's it's approaching with great speed this um, uh, little bit between two incarnations, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. not not something a production team now will deal with, I'm sure. But you never know. You know, we didn't think the master was going to come back either. Mm. Well. We're internally grateful for your efforts and um, Stephen Moffat's and, um, of course, Russell T. Russell T. Davies for your tenacity during all these years, uh, you know, of, which now eventually led to the show coming back. And um, I know, and I also want to thank you for taking a large chunk of your time this evening, oh, no, you know, okay. chatting I with us. I enjoyed myself hugely. If, if you ever want me back for a round table or anything like that, you know. That's oh, that would be awesome, man. Well, Paul, please you, you have an open it. invite anytime. Yeah. <laughs> well, please. I, I, I don't mean one of your episode round tables, but if you've ever got two or three guests on, that'd be yeah. fun. Yeah, that when would be fantastic. Want, and being an insider, when you see anybody that will, uh, has two ears and willing to listen, please tell them how much we really do appreciate the new show being on the air. And that... Uh, you know, there's how much they know by the numbers that it means a lot to people. I don't think they really have a clue how much that it's. It must be flattering to know that people go crazy uh, downloading and 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 passing oh, yeah. things around and finding ways to f- to watch what you and every member of the production team is doing on a week to week basis. Well, I'm not so sure they're so crazy about the downloading. But apart from that, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I have on I have on my table a sheaf of um, thank you cards that um, the kids at a local, um, uh, well, not uh, down in Dorset, um, uh, junior school, um, sent to me after I popped over there and talked to them about Doctor Who. And they are these lovely stick figure Daleks and um, a, a man in a big purple suit with a hat on saying, I am Doctor Who in a big speech balloon. And that's what I love. I love the kids' reactions. Yeah. So that's always the best stuff. There are our future. <laughs> you know, it's just I I know sometimes that it's been said with movies and television that sometimes they're made in a vacuum in that uh, you know you put them out there and you hope people like them. Doctor Who fans are very vocal 
Uh, they let you know that they're out there. They let you know what they think. And, you know, and, and we're three of them on this show. We, we, we created the show because we just wanted people to know that there's somebody out there that really appreciates that Doctor Who is back and that, that it's not limited to the UK. It's worldwide. Well, that's that really... That really comes over, you know. The the the, um, the love for the show is is is, is great, and uh, you know, um, as I say, I've, be, I've become quite a fan of you lot. I think it's it's a jolly good show. Well, thank well you it's so two way street, Paul, because we're just as much a fan of you and your work. Oh yeah. Thank you. And, uh, anyway, are you are you doing Galley in uh, February, Bernie Johnson? Perhaps um, we're, we're shooting kind- for it. We've kind of spoken about it behind the scenes, haven't we, guys? And I'm still well up for it. I really would love to do it. And it would be sort of the first live recording with me there. Lewis and Ken have regularly recorded together in the past. But it it would be amazing to get together and do a live show and, you know, meet each other for the first time because we've never actually met face-to-face, the three of us. So I'm well up for it. And what about you? Well, yeah, I'd be up for that if, you, if you're a galley. Fantastic. Yeah, that right. Mm. Th- that's a promise, then. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, if it's like I usually am at galley, I'll have had a few pints. I, I was going to say the first round will be on us. <laughs> yeah, that's quite right. The, the, re- the whole time that we're not at galley, we'll be in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where galley was. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks very much. I, I do appreciate it. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank, thank you. It's so been much. a delight for us. Oh, the pleasure was all ours, believe us. <laughs> Take care, then. Thanks a lot. Yeah, cheers, cheers, mate. Welcome, uh, good folks, to Radio Free Scarrow. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. Feed me! Um, Idiot's Lantern. Yes. Idiot's Lantern. The sort of, uh, the forgotten episode in between, uh, the Goliath. It's hungry! Hungry! uh, David Tennant's righteous anger once he discovered that, uh, that Rose had her face zapped. Yeah, that was beautiful. www.fabric.com kind of a nondescript episode. There's a lot of stuff going on in this one that there isn't in, say, Fear Her, which we'll be going on to later. And me, Warren. Is there any other way to go, Daddy-O? Take that, Podshock. And we're back with Doctor Who, Podshock. Hey, yes, Ken? Bill. Yes, sir. It's good to have you. Um, well, it's good to be back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Wait, do you think we're going to make it? Sometimes I have our doubts. But <laughs> once again, I, I do want to thank Paul Carnell for taking the time of his busy day to spend um, a, a good, well, not a good portion of it, but a, 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 a good hour, right? Yeah. A you long know, time. So, nice, yeah. nice, lengthy interview. He was very generous with his time. Uh, and with his stories and and his and his take on things and and we were very uh, very pleased to to welcome him to the uh, the Podshock family. 
And we also want to thank Mike Duran, our Canadian correspondent, for helping setting up the interview and working out some of the details and logistics of it. So, our friends to the north. Yes. And, uh, and of course, James as well. James is not, um, was with us in the feature segment, but he's not with us here. So um, he sends his regards too. That only, that only stokes the rumors that, that, um, that he's leaving for a solo career. Yeah, I've been kind of saving this for now, but Colin's actually with us now. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, we miss you. Actually, Colin was in one of the live shows. And we appreciate everybody's efforts. You know, there's, there, there are James and Lewis and myself as the, as the main hosts, but there are so many contributors, both um, from, from the audience, but then we have like a set group of contributors who are like our, our, regular, our staples, yeah, our regular contributors to, uh, you know, which is uh, Taras, um, Darth Skeptical, and uh, Mike Duran, of course. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everyone's um, constant contributions. And as we started off the show saying, we're appreciative of, of all this, you know, contributions uh, of content. It's been great. The amount of email that we get still never ceases to amaze me. I really, um, I can't believe that, you know, just on a weekly basis, the amount of email that I get from around the world. And, and I know that you get it, and, and so does James. Sometimes it comes to all three of us, you know, if you, if you email, you know, feedback at podchuck.net. Yeah, you uh, and James have your groupies, though. Oh, no, no, no. James has groupies. I don't have <laughs> James is the James is the, 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 uh, the sex symbol on the show, you know? James it's, is our Captain Jack. Yeah, he's our <laughs> Captain Jack. So it's been a, a rainy night that we've been recording and, and having a good time and just uh, doing our... We, we, we actually, uh, Lewis and I were talking off-air that uh, we're a little bit rusty on this whole studio thing. We've been so used to doing these live recordings... Uh, during the the length of this uh, new series, that yeah, to sit absolutely. down with just the you know just the microphones and 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 not have any instant feedback, it's it's a little it's a little weird. It takes a little getting used to. Yeah, really. Where is everyone? <laughs> I also want to mention for those who are on MySpace.com, you can always feel free to look up Doctor Who Podshock and add us as a friend. Um, you know, there's there's. We're all tapped into some form of online activities. I know Lewis has a bunch of places that, that he frequents, and, and, um, and I, I'm the guy who runs the MySpace page. So. And thank you for that. Yeah, oh, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. So um, we'll be back with more studio shows and live shows. And uh, once again, we want you there with the journey, you know, on, you know, taking the journey with us. So... Uh, keep on listening, keep on uh, subscribing, keep on um, visiting please, the sites. We, and please tell your friends about it. Turn them on to Doctor Who. I've said this several times. This is our time. We've got, we, we have the show that we love back. It's on the air. It's on the air in the UK. It's on the air on the Sci-Fi Channel in the States uh, and around the world, Canada and Australia and on and on and on. This is our time. We've been waiting for, for years to have this show back on the air. Tell your friends about it. They're not going to be disappointed. Everyone who's watched the new, the new show really just latches onto it. Anybody who has any preconceived notions of rattly sets or all the things that we used to get kicked around for, this show is not that. It is everything that's great about Doctor Who and everything that's great about current science fiction all rolled into one. 
Absolutely. And also, we want to thank our partners in crime, Outpost Gallifrey, everyone that contributes to Outpost Gallifrey. Uh, it's a wonderful website, gallifrey1.com. Check it out if I'm sure you have already. Uh, we're very um, appreciative and honored to be a part of it. And, We've had a great uh, relationship working with them. Over the, it's, we started what, in January, Lewis? The, the yeah, beginning? it was earlier this year, yes. It, it feels like it's, you know, it's been forever because we feel so comfortable and, and you know, it just feels like a, a shoe-in, if you will, and it just um, it feels like it's always been the case. Yeah. So, all right. And we'll, we'll be we'll back. Talk, yeah, we'll be back, and we'll talk to everybody real soon. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Cheers. been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run Gallifreyandembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. I dream, quite often, that, that I have two hearts.